Friends, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me there to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4, we're reading verses 1 to 6. Uh, we're in a series called Grace for the Week as we've been going through the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, and in today's passage, uh, Paul, as he continues to talk about his gospel ministry, uh, gives us a really important encouragement. And that encouragement is to not lose heart, especially as we share the gospel. And so that's the sermon title this morning, Don't Lose Heart Sharing the Gospel. And so as we now turn our attention to the scripture reading, I invite you to stand. Why do we stand? Standing is an act of worship, to show reverence for God as we read and receive his word. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, reading verses 1 to 6, hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated. Pray with me once more. Lord, do the work that only you can do, which is to illuminate truth so that it's far more than words on a page, but life-giving truth and encouragement and comfort that we need for our souls. Open our ears to hear your voice and then close our ears to the things uh, that would not be good and edifying, but the things that we do receive, uh, pray that we would receive them with more than just listening, but with application, um, so that our hearts would be encouraged as we seek to not lose hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I can't remember the exact moment I was saved, um, and if I had to be honest, I can't remember a time in my life where I didn't believe the gospel. I can't remember a time that I didn't know Jesus and trust him as my Lord and Savior. Uh, this kind of testimony may be relatable to many of you. Maybe you grew up in the church. Uh, you grew up with uh, believing parents, some of you. Uh, maybe you grew up uh, where you just always heard about Jesus. And so as far as you can remember, you always believed in him. Uh, and I don't lament that. Uh, I praise God that uh, he effectually called me to himself. He was faithful to his covenant promise. Uh, but every once in a while, people pressed me, right? Okay, okay, but when, when did you believe um, it's like, you know, when did you fall in love with your wife? I'm like, I've always been in love with her. I just needed to meet her. Um, <laughs> I think in the same way, um, for me, at least, the way that um, I grew up, I, I just always knew the Lord. But when I'm pressed, uh, I will give this answer just to appease people. I'll say um, it was sometime in the 10th grade. Uh, 
And the reason I say that is for two reasons. Uh, first, I was confirmed in 10th grade because of the church I grew up in. You had to be 15 to be confirmed in faith. And so that's when I stood up and made the public profession. Uh, the second thing is, uh, the second reason I say that is because it was around 15 years old uh, that I really began to sense a burden for the lost in my life, uh, which meant for me, translated, it, it meant that at that point, I understood that if you didn't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that there was no hope for forgiveness of sins. There was no hope for eternal life. And so uh, at 15, I remember being so burdened with the lost in my life that I really began praying fervently, really regularly. I prayed every single day for over 15 years for very specific people by their name. Now, I say for over 15 years, uh, and not more or not less than that, because, um, not because they came to faith in Jesus, uh, not because, you know, 15 years brings us to the present. I say that because right after about 15 years, if I'm honest, is when I started to grow really weary and really tired and really discouraged and defeated and hopeless um, that these people that I was praying for, uh, they weren't coming to know Jesus and, and there didn't seem to be fruit in their lives or any flicker of hope just seemed to be extinguished so quickly. And I really began to wonder, what's the point and purpose of this? Now, I share that testimony with you for two reasons. One, um, a sign or a fruit of growing in your faith uh, is a concern for the lost in your life. Uh, one sign that you are growing in your understanding of the gospel and of salvation is that you begin to look at others in your life who you love and care for deeply, and it saddens you, it burdens you that they don't know Jesus, that they don't have the security of forgiveness uh, in his name. And so as you grow in your faith, you begin to understand the gospel is not just about me, myself, and I. The gospel is not just good news for me. The gospel is good news for the world. The gospel is the good news that Jesus has come not just to die for my own sins, but the sins of my family members and the sins of my neighbors. And you begin to have a heart that cares about others, strangers across the street, strangers across the world coming to know Christ. That's one reason. The second reason is, is this. It can be really hard, really difficult to pray for somebody and shed so many tears and love people sacrificially and unconditionally like Jesus would and to seize every opportunity to share the gospel and yet see their resistance to Christ again and again. That can be really, really hard. So what does God have to say to you this morning if you can relate? Well, here's the main encouragement from today's sermon. Don't lose heart sharing the gospel. Dear friends, if you could walk away with anything, walk away with this encouragement. Don't lose heart sharing the gospel. You know, if you've shared your gospel, if you shared your faith, the gospel with somebody, uh, you're often met with various kinds of responses. Sometimes it's curiosity. Sometimes it's interest. It's questions. Other times it's, hostility, anger, maybe even offense. And one of the most scary things about sharing the gospel is actually you don't know how someone's going to receive it or how they're going to respond to it. And some people, maybe you've shared it and they just don't want to hear it, right? They're really nice and polite about it, but they don't want to hear it. Others get a little more triggered, a little more angry, and they, they are more staunch in their refusal. Please, I, I don't want to hear that. Uh, maybe for others, you've just been praying that an opportunity would come up and no opportunity is availing itself. 
you know, if you've experienced this and you know what it's like to be discouraged and defeated and disappointed, uh, you know what it's like to roll up this uh, stone up a hill and all this effort of praying and, and sharing and caring and then just to see it roll back down and, and all your pursuits and investment seem to be empty. You need to hear this encouragement. Don't lose heart sharing the gospel. Paul says in verse 1, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Paul says that knowing that his ministry has been full of intense persecution and suffering and hardship and difficulty. He's been accused falsely. And there's been all these obstacles in front of him. And yet he's able to say, despite all of that, don't lose heart. I don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. You don't lose heart. Especially when you've shed so many tears over certain people and you've walked with them in their worst moments and you've listened to everything. And, and in those moments where you just feel like there's, I don't see a humanly way it's possible that this person would ever come to know Jesus. God's word for you this morning is don't give up. Don't lose heart. Now, why? You have to look carefully at what Apostle Paul says. He says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Now, uh, you may know that when you see therefore in the Bible, it usually refers back to something he's already written. He says something and then he says, therefore. This is one of the few cases where therefore doesn't point backwards. It actually prefaces what's coming up. So what Paul is actually saying is something like this. He says, therefore, because I'm a minister of the new covenant by God's mercy, therefore, because I'm, I was called into a ministry that I deserve to be called into, therefore, don't lose heart. Now, when Paul says, I didn't deserve this ministry, I didn't deserve to be called into new covenant ministry, what he's referencing is his prior life, his previous life. You may know the story, Acts chapter 9, Paul or Saul is on his way to persecute Christians. He's on his way to arrest and imprison Christians to stop the spread of the gospel. So he's on the road to Damascus. God shows up. Christ shows up in a great light. It shines into his darkness. And on the road to Damascus, God mercifully stops Paul. And then he saves Paul. And then he sends Paul out as a missionary for his glory. And Paul's basically saying this. He's saying, I was a Jewish Pharisee a persecutor of the church. I was an enemy of Christ. And I enjoyed so much status and power and prestige and privilege. Everybody envied me because I was, I was at the highest that I could be. I was the least likely person to ever give my life for Christ. And yet, to me, God's saving mercy came. And Paul is saying something like this. When I remember how God's mercy saved someone like me, I don't lose heart that God's mercy can save anybody. Now, here's a thought exercise for you. I want you to think of the least likely person you know, someone you're praying for, someone you love and care deeply about, the least likely person to become a Christian. Think of that person. Not general, like think of them. Picture their face. Say their name in your head. Let me ask you this question. What is it about that person that makes you think they are the least likely to ever become a Christian? I'm sure you can think of a reason. There's a reason why you thought of that person. Maybe they're extremely secular. They're atheistic. Science is their religion. Or maybe they're really stubborn and proud. They trust only in themselves and, and what they can deduce 
and conclude. Maybe the person you're thinking of actually grew up in the church, but they were so hurt by the church, so burned by the church, that now they want nothing to do with it. They saw the hypocrisy, and now they're saying, you know what, forget religion, forget Christianity. Or maybe it's the complete opposite. Maybe this person's life is just going really, really well. Everything is going well for them. They have the job they want. They live in the zip code they want. They lack nothing. They feel no desperation. And so you say, why would this person ever want to believe in Jesus? They, their life is so good. Or maybe the person you're thinking of is actually uh, a devoted follower of another religion, right? And they wholeheartedly, faithfully follow that. In fact, you may be ashamed because it seems like they're more devoted to their religion than you are to Christ. Now, when you think about all the reasons why this particular person you have in your mind will never believe, isn't it easy to begin to lose hope, to lose heart? What's the point, you think? They'll never come to faith. There's no reason for them to come to faith. But dear friends, verse 1 is reminding you through the words of Apostle Paul that he was the least likely person to ever come to Christ. And yet God in his mercy met Paul in his hostility. And the Pharisee became the apostle all because what's impossible with man is possible with God. And the same is still true today. Don't lose heart sharing the gospel because God can save anybody. His grace can pierce the hardest of hearts. It can humble the proudest of intellects. It could heal the wounds of the most hurt person. It can bring home the most lost prodigal. Don't lose heart sharing the gospel. Now, how does God draw people to himself? Well, it says believers share the gospel, but believers must share the gospel faithfully. So Apostle Paul goes on to write these words. He says in verse 2, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Now, if you've ever shared the gospel with somebody, uh, maybe you can relate to this and you have to be pretty honest with yourself, but have you ever been sharing the gospel or had the opportunity and yet you were a little hesitant or a little bit ashamed of sharing the gospel because you're scared of how this might offend somebody? Of calling out sin or saying that is sinful behavior, you must repent and turn to Jesus. And there's a little bit of part of you that's kind of afraid of going all the way I mean, we feel the temptation ourselves to tamper with the gospel because we know that the gospel can be offensive to some people. We don't want to trigger them. We don't want to anger them. We don't want to burn a bridge. We don't want to, you know, turn them off right off the bat. And so we feel the temptation, don't we, to make the gospel more palatable, more appealing. And the way that we often do that, the temptation to, to do that is to uh, redefine sin, Right? If you redefine sin, maybe it won't be so offensive or reframe salvation. If salvation is cast in this way, maybe it won't be so offensive. And so many of us, we feel this pressure inside to make the gospel relevant for our age and our culture, especially uh, in an aging culture where the values of the day are so contrary to the word of God. And so I hear a lot of people express this sentiment. Maybe you've had something like it where you say, uh, but you don't understand 
it's harder to talk about Christianity today, right, in the 21st century than it was in the Bible. And sometimes we think that way. We, we, we assume that the gospel is somehow more offensive to modern sensibilities than it was to ancient sensibilities. That's what C.S. Lewis would call chronological snobbery, <laughs> that you think, oh, we were so sophisticated. That's so, that's so offensive to us, but they were barbaric. They wouldn't be offensive to them. But that's absolutely not the case at all. You know what? Why does Paul say, I didn't practice cunning. I didn't tamper with the word of God. Why does he defend himself? Because there were people who were tampering the word of God. There were people who were afraid of being offensive or understanding the Christian message was ridiculous, that they were changing things. And Apostle Paul calls that out. Uh, this is 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, he writes in chapter 1 these words. He says, For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. And what he means by that is this. Uh, the Jews were people who prized the power. And so the message of a weak cross seemed like foolishness to them. It was weakness. And the Greeks, they loved their philosophy. They loved wisdom. And so the message of the cross seemed like utter folly. And so Paul recognizes that. He says, I understand why people want to change the gospel message, but we can't change it. We need to preach Christ. I mean, think about it. it to, a, to a people who love power and love wisdom, what's the gospel? It's the announcement that the Son of God came in the form of a baby and then lived his life as a carpenter's son, and then ended his life by dying on a humiliating cross. Where's the, wis where's the power in that? And then, and then the wisdom of that. Oh, and if you just believe, you will be saved forever. You could see how offensive and ridiculous this would be. And so people felt tempted to tamper with the message. Tamper, by the way, that, that Greek word is used to uh, dilute wine. Right? Or water down the gospel is what Paul's saying here. My, my point is simply this. Paul and the early Christians certainly faced uh, the same obstacles we do today. These are not new challenges that we're facing in the 21st century. And yet they refuse to change the message. Paul goes on to say in verse 5, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So here, here's the reality we need to understand. The issues of Paul's days and the issues of our days and then the issues that have spanned the 2,000 years in between, they're always changing. There are always new sins and new idolatries that express themselves, manifest themselves in the different days of age. But you know what doesn't change? The good news of the gospel, the hope, the answer, the solution. It never changes. And because of that, we don't lose heart. We can get so discouraged looking at all the questions people have about faith and go, well, how can Christianity can't provide an answer to that? But there's no, no new age can invent a new way of sinning that Christ can't forgive. No new culture is, is so lost beyond Christ reached the save. No new generation is so consumed in darkness that Christ's light can't overcome it. And this is why for 2,000 years, the church has remained faithful to the gospel. And Paul summarizes that gospel message. is Jesus Christ as Lord. And we're called to do the same. You know, let me ask you, are, are there people that you want to share the gospel with in your life, but you're anxious and you're fearful of how it might offend them? 
or turn them off or anger them. And just two things. One, there's no way around it. The gospel calls people to turn from sin, but it also calls them to behold their Savior. If life-saving heart surgery requires an incision and some bleeding, receiving eternal salvation means the heart needs to be pierced and truths might be stinging. But we don't lose heart. Because when you share the gospel, you're not just sharing the bad news of sin, you're sharing the good news of a Savior. And it is good news indeed. You see, we're offering Jesus Christ as Lord, not Jesus Christ as critic, not Jesus Christ as accuser, Jesus Christ as fault finder, but Jesus as Lord, Jesus as he's revealed in the gospel. You know, the way Jesus comes into your life and the way you've received him is how you share him with others. Jesus Christ, the Lord God, who took your sin so seriously, he needed to punish it. He really did. And on the other hand, Jesus Christ, who loved you so unconditionally that he died in your place the Lord God come to us in the human flesh, not to deliver a moral code for us or some advice to follow, not to leave us a set of instructions on how to reach him or a list of requirements that we need to fulfill. Because it's not good news to tell anybody that they must try harder or be better or do more. There's certainly no saving hope in calling people to dig themselves out of their own predicament or to find ways to atone for their own sins. The good news is to share Jesus Christ as Lord, the one who came in human frailty and finitude, died on the cross, rose again from the dead, triumphed over your sin, removed it as far as the east is from the west, turned your guilt into his righteousness, and now welcomes you into the Father's arms. This is the good news you've received. Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's the good news you're called to share with others. So don't lose heart sharing the gospel. So Paul finally moves on. He says in verses three and four, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, this might be one of my favorite parts of this verse because it gives you the most fundamental freeing truth that you must know, and that's this. People's unbelief, listen, people's unbelief is not your fault. Like, really let that sink in for a second. People's unbelief is not your fault. Those who reject Christ, reject the gospel, ultimately they reject it because a veil is laid over their hearts. They don't reject it because you did such a terrible job of sharing it. They don't reject it because you weren't eloquent enough or equipped enough with all the right answers that would wow them, amaze them, overwhelm them so that they might surrender their lives to Christ. Think about the burden that takes off of your shoulders. You know, in fact, Paul goes on to say, it's not only sin that puts a veil over hearts. He says it's Satan who blinds eyes. 
So here in verse four, when he references the God of this world, he's talking about Satan. Satan, the God of this world, is working toward keeping people in spiritual darkness. Now, if, if you're like me, uh, maybe sometimes in sharing the gospel, uh, we're discouraged because we think, uh, I'm, not, I'm not clever enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not articulate enough. I don't have enough answers. Have you ever thought this where you talk to somebody and you think, oh, maybe if I just knew more, right? Maybe if I was quicker on my feet, maybe if I just read more books or watched more YouTube clips, I was better with my words, I was better prepared, then that person would believe. And we somehow put a lot of focus on us and the fact that other people's unbelief is somehow our fault where Paul is coming and saying, not only is people's unbelief not your fault, but their faith is not to your credit. People's response to the gospel is not within your responsibility, nor is it within your ability. I mean, think about it. If it was up to you and your arguments and your articulation to remove the veil from people's hearts through persuasive arguments and well-informed answers to their questions, then really, why do anything else in the world with your life? Like, all of us should just quit our jobs, go to seminary, study evangelism, learn apologetics full-time, and prepare for the most important work ever. If it was really up to you, then what are you doing waking up tomorrow and going to work? But take heart. You are neither ultimately the reason people don't believe, and you're also not the reason that they will believe. Because resistance to the gospel is a spiritual problem not a spokesperson problem. So don't lose heart sharing the gospel because there is darkness you cannot overcome, but there is no darkness that God cannot overcome. So Paul goes on to write in verse six, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Whereas Satan tries to keep eyes from seeing the light of the gospel. God is able, God alone is able to overcome the blinding work. You see here, what Paul quotes is from Genesis chapter one, verse three, when at creation, God speaks and out of the darkness, he speaks into it light. And what Paul's saying is what God did in creation in speaking light into darkness, God does in forming us to be a new creation when he speaks his light into our dark hearts. That God alone can do this work. This is the power of God. There is nobody so lost in the darkness that his light, the light of the gospel, cannot shine into their hearts to show before them the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you not understand how encouraging this is for you? Like, why did you come to believe if you, are, if you consider yourself a believer here in this room, how is it that you came to faith? Is it because you're far more intellectual than others, and so you became enlightened, whereas others are too not smart? Is it because you're so humble yourself that you were able to confess your sins, but everyone else, they're so proud that they couldn't? No, no, I'm, I'm just, I was very compliant. I was willing. Well, dear friends, if you are a Christian, you only came to faith because God has shined his light 
the light of the gospel, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ into your heart. And if you believe God can do a merciful work in you, then do you also believe he can do a merciful work in the hearts of others? And so you don't lose heart sharing the gospel. And if people's unbelief is not your fault, their coming to salvation is not to your credit. The ability and the responsibility is in God's hand alone. And that is good news. So as you think about those in your life that you are praying for daily and desperately, that they might know Jesus in a saving way, rest not in yourselves, but rest in God. Don't lose heart. Don't tamper with the gospel, but share and proclaim Jesus. And God will do his work for his glory. Let's pray.